some people feel like, well, that person has a purpose, but I don't have a purpose or I don't have a calling. I believe every single one of us has one. And I believe it lives at the intersection of our values, our unique talents, and the things that we care most about, the things that we want to affect in the world. And that we have an opportunity and dare I say a responsibility to create the room and the space to figure it out. Hi, I'm Emily Williams, the founder of the top success and personal development company for driven women called I Heart My Life. I grew my company from $442 to seven figures in my first 18 months. And since then, it's become a movement for women who know they're meant for something big and refuse to settle. At I Heart My Life, we operate with the belief that anything is possible and no dream is too big. We're all about combining business strategy, deep mindset work, high performance practices, money tips, and a whole lot of lifestyle to help you get the results you deserve in all areas of life. Because after all, we only get this one shot. This is your one-stop shop for all things inspiration. So grab your favorite drink and a pen and a notebook and get ready to be inspired. Oh, and if you're not a member of our community, go to iheartmylife.com slash join and receive all of our emails and announcements. And while you're at it, copy and paste this episode link and share it with three friends. Now on to the episode. This is episode 242, how to stay true, get paid and do good in the world with Raw Goddess. So Ra is the entrepreneurial soul coach behind hundreds of breakthrough change makers, cultural visionaries, and social entrepreneurs. From multi-New York Times bestsellers to multi-million dollar social enterprises, Ra's unique methodology has empowered a new generation of conscious entrepreneurs to stay true, get paid, and do good. From the onset of her more than 30-year career as a cultural innovator, social impact strategist, and creative change agent, Ra has drawn on the power of creativity, culture, and community to move hearts, minds, and policy. And today's conversation is so powerful. I am thrilled to bring Raw to your ears, to your eyes, (laughs) so you can experience all the goodness that she has to do in the world and all the wisdom that she has. She's someone who I consider a friend and someone who I would trust with so many things in my life. She has such power and wisdom that runs so deep. And I know today's conversation is really going to get you thinking and help you in understanding what it really means to stay true to yourself and how you can get paid and do good in the world in the process. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Ra. I'm so excited to have you here and to go deep. And I've had the pleasure of being with you on stage. So I know how powerful you are. And I know that the message you have to share with our audience today is going to be incredibly impactful. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me. It's my joy to be here. So I always start with asking our guests, what is the story behind your success? Take us back to where it all began. You know, it's so funny because anytime I think about journey, it's never a straight line. I don't I yes. don't believe for most of us, right? There's lots of twists and turns and valleys and peaks. And I think for me, you know, I was joking with someone um, in a conversation about, you know, when I wanted, when I was growing up, I wanted to be either a doctor or like a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) I would sort of go back and forth every other day between the two. And I think for me, I wanted to be a doctor because my experience of watching doctors work. I had a sister who stayed in, in the hospital, you know, really severe asthma. And so we would be making these trips two and three o'clock in the morning to the hospital. 
And the doctors would somehow return her back to us every single time. And so they were miracle workers for me. And so this ability to really uh, improve people's lives for the better was, I guess, sort of what was at the core of wanting that occupation. And then if I think about Rockstar, similarly, it was about the ability to touch or move people. And I would always have these images of, you know, being at the concert or, or watching it on TV. And, you know, you see people doing this. And I'm like, I want to be the person that gets humanity to do this. <laughs> right. Um, and I share that because I when I ask my leaders these questions, there's always some element of whatever we want it to be in who we really are. And I think my hope and, and belief and desire is that my success has always been driven by a desire to want to help people, make people's lives better, and inspire people to be the best of who they want to be. Thank you for sharing all that. And I love thinking about the juxtaposition of the incredible doctors and then the rock stars, but I see both in you. So I feel like you merge the two so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. So how did you ultimately decide on the work that you do now? I went through what is called, I've come to know now, a Saturn's return at the age of 26. And this is where, you know, supposedly the universe takes your life and shakes it. (laughs) Kind of like a snow globe. You come questioning everything. And for me, it was really through death, through the death of my mom and other people very, very close to me in my life in a very short period of time that had me starting to ask these bigger questions about my life's purpose and what it was that I was here to do. And again, I always have had this passion for wanting to help people achieve their goals and their aspirations. I've also always had a passion for wanting to make the world a better place. And I feel like those currents have always run through my work, no matter what I did. So I worked in corporate for a little while. I then worked in not-for-profit for a little while and then began, you know, kind of got bit by the entrepreneurial bug and then began to kind of create businesses. And I think that that is the heart of the work for me. Always, it's about liberation. It's about helping people arrive in their most authentic selves in service to their higher purpose and calling. And how did you actually start your business? So I, you know, it was one of these things where I, I was in at the time I was working in arts and social change and I was touring all over the world and performing and leading workshops and seminars, but I was struggling and really could not pay my rent. And I kind of had this come to Jesus moment coming back from a trip from Africa And, you know, typically when I got home and there was more, you know, rent than month or more, was it more month than money? I think that's the phrase, you know, I would go out and hustle, you know, as most artists and freelancers and entrepreneurs do hustle to make the ends meet. And I just, I didn't have it in me. And, And it was really this kind of come to Jesus moment where I was just like, this is not working. It's not sustainable. And I literally heard a voice from the universe say, get a business education. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) Get a business education. What do you mean? (laughs) And it wasn't about like going to Harvard or Wharton or Yale, but it was rather about being able to sit at the feet of other entrepreneurs who had built really successful businesses from dust and learning and absorbing everything I possibly could from them. And it was really in sitting in those trainings and those seminars that I began to really think about like, wow, what if I could take these skills or these insights and I could deliver them in a way that really would be supportive to the people that I knew in terms of my my colleagues who were also really, really bright and incredibly creative 
but also starving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it was like, could I transform my life with this work? And then could I help others do the same? And that was really where the impetus for Move the Crowd, my company began. Um, and so that is the work that we do. We help people stay true, get paid and do good. And I'm always curious in the details. So you didn't have enough money for rent. How did you afford the seminars and the trainings and the coaches? That's a great question. I put them on my credit card. I put them on my credit card. And I will say, you know, because there's a lot of conversation often about uh, how we spend as entrepreneurs yeah. and what is fiscal responsibility and what does it look like? And I think for me, anything that was about contributing to my education, in other words, anything that was enabling me to have skills or knowledge or tools or access or opportunities, I saw as investments. And I learned that from my parents because of the degree to which they were adamant about us getting a good education. And so for me, that was what I did. I put in my credit card and then I was like, okay, I can make the, you know, the minimum payments. I will do whatever I need to do to make the minimum payments, but I've got to invest in me and I've got to be willing to make that risk and take that step to be able to get access to that information and to get access to those resources and those opportunities. Thank you for sharing that. And I agree with that completely because that was my story. Well, James was actually my investor because I had $30,000 in credit card debt and $90,000 in student loan debt when I started my business. And so we have to start somewhere and that investment in yourself and your education, you know, that's going to help you make money. It's not like you're going out and buying Gucci shoes or whatever, like you're actually investing in your knowledge and moving yourself forward. Yeah, you are the best investment you can ever make. And I don't think we hear that enough. Yeah. I don't think we take that in enough, but it's true. And so when you started Move the Crowd, I'm curious to know, were you really clear on how you wanted to serve and what your message was at that point? It took time. You know, I knew who I wanted to serve. I felt like I've always known who I've, who I've wanted to serve because my history prior to starting my company was really in activism, was on the front lines, working with really incredible, gifted and talented people who were struggling, right, based upon systemic factors or based upon personal trauma that they had gone through in their lives and their families and their communities. And so I felt really clear about the who. I think I started to get clear about the what as I began to apply what I was learning and I began to see the results, right? So I was sitting in those rooms and, you know, they were talking about making money and they were talking about building businesses. But in some levels, as much as I felt the information was incredible, I didn't feel like they were talking to me from a number of perspectives. I didn't feel like they were talking to me from the perspective of being creative, whose products and services didn't necessarily fit in those neatly packaged boxes, boxes, right? I didn't feel like they were talking to me as a person of color, just being really honest. At that time, it was the parade of, you know, the really smart, incredible white boys, just keeping it real, <laughs> right? Love them. And... <laughs> and I didn't feel like they were talking to me as someone who wanted to have my mission live in the center of what I was building. There was a lot of extrapolation that I had to do to really get the knowledge and the tools to work for me because my scenario was so different than often what I saw being modeled in those trainings. But as I continue to stay in it and be inspired both by that knowledge, by those experiences, as well as as I continue to keep my ear to the ground... I began to really hone in on the value proposition, which is, lives at the center of our work. And it is the stay true, get paid, do good value proposition. And I came to that because I was like, that's what I want. And when I talk to most people, that's what they want. You know, it isn't just that we want to succeed. It's that 
we want to succeed as ourselves. And I don't also feel like that piece until very recently, you know, we talk a lot about authenticity, <laughs> right? Not even five years ago, were we really on the authenticity train? This is relatively new and being your best self. Like, do you know what I mean? Those, those conversations, those phrases weren't really in the zeitgeist. But I do feel like being able to understand and recognize that that was at the core of what I wanted. And then the more as I spoke with people and worked with people and explored their own goals and aspirations, a lot of it was about they wanted to stay true. Integrity was really important to them. They wanted to get paid. They wanted to be well compensated for the work that they did in the world, though they didn't feel empowered or even in some cases entitled to say it. And they wanted to do good. They wanted to make a difference. They wanted to leave the world better than they found it. Yeah, no, I so agree. And I'm curious to know, what was the time frame between when you started going to those conferences to the moments or the chapter that you're describing right now? I mean, I think I chewed on the idea probably for about two or three years, you know, like just in iterations, I would be yeah. writing in my journal furiously. I would be in conversations. I would go to conferences or go to trainings. And then I would talk to people in my community. I had the privilege at the time of also working with this incredible CFO consultant, shout out John Daquila, who was like my mentor in terms of like just the business confidence, right? Like, okay, so what does a pro forma look like? And how do you think about expenses? And what does a startup need to have in order to really have a strong foundation? And so I was in school, the sort of informal business school, while at the same time, really trying to allow myself to be guided by my values. That was really an important thing for me. And most entrepreneurs that I meet, Emily, are not in it for the money. They're doing what they're doing because they're passionate about the thing that they want to offer, the contribution that they want to make. The money facilitates it. It makes life easier. No question, it allows us to get the support that we need to deliver on the vision. But we're always, in my experience, often fueled by something bigger. And I would say that certainly the most successful businesses, the businesses that have the most longevity and also the happiest and healthiest entrepreneurs are driven by things that they're really, really passionate about. And so for me in those rooms, when it was sort of all about like the make money, make money, make money, make money, I had to kind of go make money in service to, make money in support of. And so the impact piece for me was really the important thing to get clear and get right as I was spending that time sort of chewing and honing and visioning and crafting. Yeah. And I think what's coming up for a lot of people now is not only wanting to be in alignment with what they're selling or what the end goal is or the big mission, but also the process of how they do it. They want to feel like that's authentic to them. And it's not just a one size fits all approach anymore, which I'm really excited about, but it does take courage to kind of beat to the sound of your own drum and do things your way. So how did you like, were you always courageous in that? Or did you have to shift your mindset or do any certain, any practices to keep yourself in that place? Oh yeah. I think there's tons of mindset work. You know, I, I, I mean, anytime I feel like you put your heart on the line for anything, <laughs> your, here comes your chatter. You know what I mean? Whatever those old limiting messages are, they're always kind of lurking right around the corner. And so there was definitely a lot of mindset work that I had to do. And I will say that in my experience in working with entrepreneurs, the mindset is also, also often 80% of the game. Mm-hmm. 
Because the actual fundamental skills of how to do something, it's usually not that complicated. You know what I mean? It's not rocket science. It's really about the way that our talk gets in the way that then overshadows our confidence that then has us believe that we're not capable or not able, right? And that doesn't mean that good information and tools and skill building aren't important. They are. But I know that for me, I spent a significant amount of time establishing practices that enabled me to stay in a really positive place, to stay in an attracting place for the opportunities and resources and people that I wanted to attract to help me facilitate growing my vision. Are you able to share what any of those practices are? Absolutely. Like, so I have a deep and longstanding prayer and meditation practice. I chant I journal, I read, I spend on average about an hour and a half to two hours every morning in silence. And it's just my time. I usually get up very, very early in the morning and it's just my time to sort of set the context and set the foundation. And I notice a difference in the quality of my day when I do versus when I don't, right? If I don't get to it for whatever reason, I'm up late and I have to get up early. And I will say that that foundation for me has been instrumental and my ability to also make really good decisions. A lot of the work of an entrepreneur is that you're making decisions all the time. You know this. I'm going to tell you anything you don't know. You know, any given day, you will make 100 to 150 decisions. Some of them will be really great. Some of them will be lousy. (laughs) And many of them won't matter the next day, right? And the ability to have so many things coming at you and be able to stay calm and stay grounded and stay clear, these practices really help me. My journaling practice, my affirmations, and just sort of the things that I want to hold or, or, or keep in front of me as I go through my day-to-day are integral to the way I set the stage in my morning practice. So I've had the pleasure of meeting your incredible husband, Corey, and I know he's so supportive, but I'm always so curious to know with people that have kind of robust morning routines like that, how do you navigate that with your spouse being in the house, being in the same space? Yeah, that's a great question because he is not a morning person, (laughs) not by anybody's stretch of the imagination. (laughs) So usually I'm leaving the bed when he's coming to bed. Got (laughs) it. Right. So so in some ways that does help because you get a little bit of separation there. But I also will say that my joke, especially with my moms that I work with is even if you have to kind of close yourself in the bathroom. And, you know, for five minutes or 10 minutes and get it in, just find that corner, you know, or if you have to go outside and take that walk in the park and just sit on the park bench and like go to journal it, like you can do it anywhere and you may have to grow. Like, in other words, you may, when you hear my two hours, you may be like, what, you know, no way. I'm lucky if I get three minutes, get the three minutes. Yeah. And you will notice consistently that it will grow naturally and organically as you start to feel the benefits of even just having a couple of minutes, you know, you then will be inspired to want to find more time and more space. And I think what you're also saying here is having awareness, because I know that my days are different when I set them up, like what you're describing. I know that because I have awareness and I pay attention to different things throughout the day, you know, what my energy is like, what anxiety is like, how I'm feeling, how am I making decisions? Are things more stressful than they need to be? And on the days where my morning routine is, you know, what you described or my own version of that, it does make a huge difference. And so I think if people start to track and monitor all of that, just like you would track, I don't know what you're eating or your business statistics, you'll start to see certain patterns. 
Yeah, hugely, hugely important. The other thing is during the day, I also make sure I'm taking breaks, I'm getting my water in, I'm stretching my legs. And there's all kinds of statistics and science that show in terms of productivity that we're we're pretty we're really pretty good for like 50 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we need to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> or we come back and reset the clock, right? And I think that sometimes whether we are under pressure or under the gun or whether we just have this sort of belief that we have to sit for long extended periods of times where it has to be grueling, I think that's starting to change. I think the last 23 months of what we've all been through have caused us to really, one, take a a deeper cut at what does it mean to take care of ourselves. But two, as you mentioned, pay attention to our quality of experience. If having your own business is an act of liberation, but you feel like a prisoner, even if the business is successful, I'm not sure you've won. Mm. And I think we're starting to talk about this. I think we're starting to give ourselves a little bit more permission around this. But I would say that during the day, you set up the morning really strongly, but then during the day, you're taking those breaks. You're eating things that energize you. And for each of us, that may be different. You know, like I started to notice for myself in the middle of the day, like, oh, if I'm having tortilla chips, I'm sleepy 25 minutes later. (laughs) It's like, okay, so maybe that's not what I'm going to do, you know, at 12 noon, right? Or maybe I want to limit that altogether in my diet. But to your point, this tracking, this observing, this paying attention, not just to the big decisions we make, but even those micro choices that we make can actually make a significant difference in terms of our quality of life, our quality of experience, and then ultimately what we're achieving in our respective businesses. And you mentioned you know, the past 23 months, and I know a lot of people are transitioning and starting to uncover what it is that they actually want from their lives. So can you talk a little bit about purpose and how somebody can go about uncovering that for themselves? Yeah. So this is the, the work that I love to do. This is my life's work. I think the first thing I'll say is that everyone has one, right, Emily? Because some people feel like, well, that person has a purpose, but I don't have a purpose or I don't have a calling. I believe every single one of us has one. And I believe it lives at the intersection of our values, our unique talents, and the things that we care most about, the things that we want to affect in the world. And that we have an opportunity and dare I say a responsibility to create the room and the space to figure it out. Some of the questions I ask people when they are trying to find their purpose is, what is it that you really care about? What is really important to you? What are the talents, not just the things that you're good at, that you know how to do, but what are the talents when you do them, when you share them, they bring you sheer and utter joy. They are often the things that people are looking to you to do. And this has been a tricky conversation I've found over the years because when there are things that we are excellent at that we love, we often dismiss them. Oh, that's no big deal. That took me two seconds to do or, oh, you know, whatever. That was for fun. Part of this is the conditioning of our society. We never really believe that we can actually do those things and make money at them. (laughs) So the biggest often transformation that happens in the center of the work that we do is that, yes, you can live your purpose. You can do what you feel passionate about. You can bring your your talents and your energies to what matters to you. And it can be incredibly profitable for you. And you can make a difference in the lives of others. That is the stay true, get paid, do good commitment that we deliver on every single day. And so finding that intersection of what you're passionate about, where those talents and gifts lie for you that are a joy to share. And then what's the thing that moves you? The thing that you pay attention to, and I often, Emily, describe this as 360 degrees of inspiration. So that the things that light you up or they're the things that really piss you off. 
Mm. <laughs> and often, right, you will find that even in the things that piss you off, there's passion there. There's fire there. There's intent there. There's opportunity there. And so, you know, our opportunity is to really be able to pay attention to all of that and then start to ask ourselves those questions. The last thing I'll say for people who are trying to find their purpose is it is the thing that you've been walking around and stepping over because you don't believe it's possible or you don't believe you can have it or you don't believe you're good at it or you don't believe anybody would pay you for it. Yeah, that thing. (laughs) Love it. So I'm curious to know, can you give us an example of something that would be potentially pissing somebody off that can give them clarity around their purpose? So a lot of the conversations I often have with women entrepreneurs are being in environments where they are watching women give away their power and they're they're watching them sit down on their gifts. They're watching them tolerate nonsense and the fire. You all know, anytime we witness someone who we view as being bullied up on or ganged up on, or we watch someone navigating a system that we don't believe is fair or equitable, that will light a fire. Or we watch someone squander their health, a loved one. You know, I I talk a lot with my leaders about their parents. You know, my God, if I could just get my dad to put the the cola down. You know what I mean? Or if I could just get my mom yeah. <laughs> to get off the diet Pepsi train, right? Whatever it is. And and it's those things that really I think often indicate to us that there's passion there. There's something that wants to be expressed through you. There's a reason why you're angry. And we get angry when somebody touches or rubs up against a value for us. There are values that we're clear about that we know that we have, but then there are values that we're not even aware of. And it's often through our emotional experiences that we actually have the potential to get the clarity about what matters and what's really important to us. I share this because sometimes we get taught to suppress our emotions, that our emotions are not healthy, that they're not useful. But I actually challenge that. I think that they contain phenomenal information, especially your anger. I think your anger is a goldmine. And if you allowed yourself to get to the bottom of it, you actually might discover like, oh, wow, this is really important to me and I've not been honoring it. Or, wow, I have something to say here and I've not been saying it. Or I have a contribution to make here and I'm not making it. And to me, all of those roads lead to the opportunity to express and find and discover your purpose in the home. Yeah. I remember when I first discovered the world of coaching, I landed on Marie Forleo's website and I was instantly jealous, <laughs> like jealous of her clients, of her hair, all the things. And I realized that that jealousy, much like anger, was leading me towards what I want. It was showing me what it was that I was craving, what I wanted more of, what inspired me. And yet so often we make that wrong or we try and suppress it, like you said. The other emotion I think is so telling is relief. I've been paying attention to when I feel relief and why that is. And, you know, sometimes we might feel relief because we hold ourselves back from moving forward. But if you can start to pinpoint when you feel relief regarding a decision and really pay attention to that, that's given me a lot of clarity over the last few years. Yeah, 100%. I would add as well, joy. Mm. Look at what you look forward to and why. Yeah. And why, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's also breadcrumbs in that, you know. So, you know, in each of these cases, you know, whether it's envy or anger, right, or relief, yeah. right, or joy, it's the emotional body that is talking to you, that's telling you 
what matters. And speaking of joy, you know, for me personally, I've been on a big journey this year with pivoting my company, splitting it into two, really focusing on what I desire. And that came from waking up New Year's Day 2021, realizing that I wasn't happy. And so I'm curious to know, have you experienced some of those ups and downs and made pivots of your own over the last however long it's been in your company? And how did you navigate that? Yeah, 2017 breakdown year for me. Total emotional breakdown. You know, I ended the year with one of the best years that the company had ever seen up until that point. So, you know, this is one of those moments where I look great on paper, but internally I was a hot mess. And what I came to understand were a couple things. One was I was tolerating. I was in a situation with team. And this is one of the things that comes up often for us as leaders is when we get members of our team, especially when we get your first members of your team, you're so grateful. Oh my God, I don't have to do everything. But sometimes we can find that as we grow, as we change, and as we evolve, those relationships, they grow past their season and they're no longer ripe. And sometimes if you don't make the decisions or the choices that you need to make about transitioning those relationships or collaborations, they can begin to turn in on you, right? And so for me, it was a combination of the dynamics of team that I was not addressing, courageously facing and dealing with combined with the fact that I had been grieving the death of my father, but I was too busy working to cover the grief, right? I gave myself, you know, threw myself into my work so that I didn't have to deal with that loss. And so all of that came very much to a head in my reality. And I pivoted in a number of ways. I pivoted in terms of team because that needed to happen for me. I also pivoted in the way that I was working. That was the genesis of really kind of going, I need to look at the quality of my experience in a day to day to day. And I literally, you all begin to track. I have a log. How many times a day did I get angry? How many times a day did I get frustrated? Right. Shout out Allie Brown. Allie has this exercise that she does in the work of Iconic, where she tells you to make a list of all the things you've been tolerating. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you kind of go into your toleration list and you're like, what? what? You know, so it was, it was that real kind of sitting down and really coming to the, you know, again, another come to Jesus moment, like, okay, you know, here's what's going on. Are you willing to confront and make the hard choices that you need to make in order to move? And sometimes that may mean releasing people. Sometimes that may mean closing your business. Sometimes that may mean moving your business in a whole other direction because you want to serve a different type of client. For me, it was the quality of my experience. It was about my day-to-day. It was about being willing to not consistently work 18 hours every day and on the weekends. Um, It was about being willing to have a life (laughs) and to actually really stand for having a life and being willing to put my health and my well-being first. Yeah. I love these conversations because you never know where they're going to go. I love the tolerations exercise as well. The first time I did that with David Nagel, I had 63 things on my list. So it's a very eye-opening one. (laughs) So I'm curious to know within those pivots and everything that you just described and, you know, starting to track some of the ways in which you were experiencing anger and all of that throughout the day, what was the biggest shift besides the team stuff? What was the biggest shift for you personally that helped you move through that? Self-care. Okay. Taking the time to eat, taking the time to take a walk around the block. It's not rocket science, is it? Listen, (laughs) taking the time to put lotion on my skin. Right. You know what I mean, right? Like just acknowledging that you are a 
being worthy of everything else you want to give everybody else. And, you know, I had come from a family where it had been ingrained in me that other people come first. And I think that's that, you know, for especially if we get kind of go to the women conversation or, you know, even if we go to the cultural conversations, that indoctrination is in there from a very, very young age. We also get it from larger global society, mainstream conditioning. I, I had to do real internal work to be able to feel okay. You know, when I remember working with one of my beloved coaches and she said to me, look, feel guilty, but still do it. You know, don't let the feeling of guilt stop you. Don't let the feelings of shame stop you. Like continue to take those actions and grapple with those feelings. Because if you can do that, they will start to dissipate over time and your truth will start to arrive in the place of what everybody else has told you you should be doing, right? Or should be having or who you should be being at the time. So I think it was very, very important to me. The other thing I'll say about pivots, and particularly as it relates to the last two years, right, because we've all kind of been through the ringer over the last two years, is that my work has shifted to meet the moment that we're in as well. And so I've always worked with entrepreneurs. I've always worked with corporate change agents. But I've, in the last year, launched two new initiatives, one specifically working with women of color executives and one specifically working with corporations who desire and aspire to have more inclusive organizations and entities. And so I'm here, and this is what's a surrender moment for me. It's still in alignment with my calling. It's not where I thought I would necessarily find myself bringing my work, but I'm carrying my work into places where I haven't carried it before because we're in a moment that is asking for that. Yeah. It's such a great reminder to be flexible is not the right word, but to be aware of what your soul is calling you to do and be willing to go in a different direction than what you expected and to rise to the occasion. That's amazing to hear. And the thing is that I think it's so funny is sometimes we think, oh, I can't believe this is what my work has turned into. But on the outside looking in, everyone's like, oh, of course she's doing that. Like that makes total sense. I've seen that all along. <laughs> yes. And yes, like both of those things are going on, right? You know, because yeah. I think again, we've been taught like, oh, you're only one thing or oh, yeah. only be in one place. And that's not most people's truths. We're multifaceted, we're multi-spirited, we're multi-talented. And I think the more that we can be in our full self-expression, the more that we are actually fulfilled. I think it's less about numbers on the board and, you know, and sometimes more of the shiny things that we often can be conditioned to aspire to and more about the inside at the end of the day. Are you like, good one? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Ding, ding, good one. (laughs) I love that. That's a good way to measure it. So can you talk to us a little bit about the book? So the book is called The Calling, The Three Fundamental Shifts to Stay True, Get Paid, and Do Good. And I wrote the book as a blueprint for people who are trying to find their purpose or people who have a sense that they have a purpose and a calling but they have not given themselves the permission to pursue it. And in the book, the book is structured in a way that it really answers what has been, in my experience, the three most common concerns I've heard as I've talked to people about why they don't pursue their purpose and calling, right? So the first question is often, who am I? Who am I to do this? And that comes from everything from you know, whether or not we feel capable enough, to whether or not we feel worthy enough, to whether or not we feel supported enough, to whether or not we feel entitled enough, you know, all of the things. And so 
I always believe that anything that we want to achieve begins with the quality of our relationship with ourselves. Our relationship with ourselves is the most important relationship there is, bar none. You know, I would say with source, right? So because for me, your relationship with yourself is your relationship with your source, right? And so uh, we grapple and we go there first. We, we answer the question, who am I? But we don't answer it from like, who am I to do these things? Like, who are you? Like, come see who you really are. Come understand and recognize who you really are. Take the time to get to know who you really are. See the value in who you really are. The second question and concern that often comes up is how do I pay the rent? (laughs) So the book takes you through a transformative process that actually moves you from a place of scarcity to a place of abundant sufficiency. And there is a real way that we define that in the book, that it isn't about being able to have everything, but it is about being able to know what is true for you in terms of the way in which you want to be resourced. And it also is about being really clear and getting really to the heart of what it is that you want to offer and bring to the world in terms of your proposition. The third question that I often hear is, can I really matter? It's just little old me. And these problems of the world that we're facing or these challenges in the world feel so big. Can I even make a dent? And so the third section of the book, the do good section, is all about how we move from fear to love, which is really heart wide open, bringing our greatest gifts, knowing that we're working in concert with millions and millions of other people who care about what we care about and that we're doing our part and that that matters. Oh, so beautiful. We'll definitely link that in the show notes. It sounds incredible. I'm going to pick it up as well. And I love how it's so clear with the different sections. That makes it really easy to follow. Yeah, that's the intention, you know, and at the end of each session, you get homework and, you know, so it's really a workbook. Mm -hmm. Love it. So the final question I want to ask you today is something we ask all of our guests. I know that you've been able to create a life that's better than your dreams, better than maybe what you envisioned as a child. And I'm curious to know what is one way other people can do the same? I think it's giving themselves permission to believe that it's possible for you. And there's a difference between philosophically believing it's possible and believing it's possible for you. And, you know, it's why I say to you all in the work, I always come to what is our relationship with ourselves? Because the difference between a life we love and a life we're tolerating is permission. The permission we give ourselves to reach for more, to aspire for more, to express for more, to effort for more. Versus to just accept what we've been given or believe that we're only worthy of less than the status quo. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ra. I'm curious to know, can you tell everyone where they can find you online? Absolutely. It has been my joy, Emily. Thank you for having me. So I'm everywhere at Ra Goddess. (laughs) Instagram, Twitter, backslash Ra Goddess on Facebook, LinkedIn, backslash Ra Goddess. And um, in terms of the company, it's Move the Crowd and it's movethecrowd.me as in move me. Mm. And how did the name came to be? Like your name, Raw Goddess. So my name comes from uh, a, a spiritual journey, vision quest that I did almost 30 years ago to come into my name, an 86-day vision quest. And wow. my name arrived in, in spirit early and, and it means light supreme, bearer of the light, bringer of the light. And so 
I hold it lightly in the sense of it is a responsibility more than it is, you know, this anointing, <laughs> so to speak. And, and it's rooted in my purpose. My purpose is to reveal. My purpose is to bring light. My purpose is to hold people in the light, especially when they're we're struggling or, or grappling with some of the darker challenges that we're facing in, in our moment, in our time, both personally and collectively as a society. I have to say, it's a little bit rock star as well, though. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Love it. Thank you so much, Ra. Oh, I that, Emily. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks again. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag I hurt my life show. That's hashtag I hurt my life show. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on, and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action, and believing in your dreams.